I'd like to say that uh, have any of you ever, and be honest, you don't have to lie about this, have you ever read through entirely the book of Revelation? Let me just see your hand. Okay, maybe one-fourth of you. Uh, that term revelation, that, what does it, is it the book of mystery or the book of revelation? Is there a difference? Yeah. So it's one of the easiest books in the Bible to follow through. The outline, I'm going to try to show you in six weeks. We're going to do that. You may not know the names of all the horns. And you may still be living with a beast. But you'll get the flow of the book. I want you to do that. I, I've come to see that some of you don't have a clue of what the big picture is. Whether it's Romans. Because you take Hebrews. We've been in it for a year and a half. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. But could you outline the book for me? What's the theme of the book of Hebrews? We've been in it a year and a half. Jesus is the best. That's the theme of the book. He's the best what? He's the best revelation God could ever make. Chapter 1 and 2. Jesus is the best rest you'll ever know. Chapter 3 and 4. Jesus is the best representative you could ever have. It's our high priest, chapter 5 through chapter 8. Jesus is the best sacrifice, chapter 9 and 10. Jesus is the best you could ever rest in. Can you think your way through any Bible book? And if you're always just reading the verse, some of you read it. So we want to give you some broad pictures. In six weeks, that they've studied it. And downstairs, I think they were in it for eight years. Or, you know, deeper than ever. How long were you in Revelation? Two years, maybe? Three. Three. So this is going to be the panorama. I just ask you to read the book. Read the book. And you're promised to be blessed at the beginning if you just read it. Uh, it's amazing how little Bible you can understand when you never read it. <laughs> Anybody here ever wear out a Bible? You know what? A, a Bible that's well-worn, if I could talk him out of it, I couldn't. I would want to inherit Les Wilson's Bible. It's incredible the way he marked it. The way he's got a system. I mean, it's artwork the way he's done it. And that Bible is marked. Uh, it's hard to find any plain pages he's marked so much. And so we want to do that. And uh, just want, we're going to start it in July. And I'm going to finish the book of Hebrews this month. And so uh, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 18, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city 
of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Application. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the fifth and final warning in the book. The fifth, the first warning, Hebrews 2. Do not drift. How shall we escape if we neglect the word of God? Hebrews 2. Then he goes into Hebrews 3 through 4. If you don't believe God, you will never enter the divine rest. You will forfeit it. Chapter 5, if you abandon Christianity and fall away, you will fall away to your own perdition and an irrevocable decision that you can never be renewed. A stark warning, don't abandon Christianity and go back or it will bring eternal perdition. Chapter 10, verse 25, if we go on sinning willfully after we have been informed of Christianity and of Christ, there remains no sacrifice for our sins. And then this final warning, which is really verse 25, listen, listen to what God is saying. And he does it by way of contrast. He goes to two mountains, and he goes to two kingdoms, and then he goes to basically two voices. The two mountains was he compared Mount Sinai. And we go to Exodus 19 for the narrative. And if you were to go to Mount Sinai, he said God spoke, but it was scary. It was dark. It was loud noise. The mountain shook. Even Moses was terrified. Animals would be struck dead. It was a fearsome, awesome voice that shook a mountain out in the Sinai Peninsula. But you'd better listen to what God said there. And thus Israel got the Degalog or the Ten Commandments. They received the 613. They received the legislation for the uh, people of Israel. You better listen to that voice. But now by way of contrast, he says, but we're introducing a new covenant people. 
and we appeal to the voice of God from a heavenly Zion, from the heavenly city, God has spoken to us in his son. And this city is grace. This city is inviting. This voice was kind, tender, approachable. But hear the same voice, whether it's shaking Sinai or appealing from heaven, God is saying, be sure, be sure you listen to what I'm saying. And look at the description of the, in, the, the inhabitants. You've come to Mount Zion. And what's in the city? To an innumerable company of angels in festal gathering. That's interesting. That word is only used once. And it was used of community parties to throw a party. Did you know that heaven is a place where you can party? Jude says, when you land in heaven, you land with exceeding great joy. Think of that. When you think about approaching God, do you think of just being uninhibited and just being able to rejoice? Could you dance in the presence of God? It's quite a contrast with Sinai. You couldn't even touch the mountain. And you die. But here he said, angels in the presence of God are throwing parties. And you remember what Jesus said in Luke 15? If a shepherd finds a sheep and brings it back, does he not throw a party? If a woman finds her engagement ring lost and brings it back, does she not throw a party? Don't be alarmed then or amazed at God every time a sinner comes to Christ, they throw a party in heaven. What would you do at the party? I'm amazed at how many Christians are so stiff and uptight. The Jews were told to go up to Jerusalem three times a year to worship and party. They would eat for a week, drink wine, celebrate, dance, sing, and adore their God. Our God is a lot happier than his people act. He's a happy God. He's a God that tells them in the Psalms, dance, sing, hit cymbals, make some noise, act alive. And we say, if it's not a mausoleum, it's not worship. No, we need to learn to party, but you don't need cocaine. And I don't need to be having a hangover. I could party. We will party. For, this is what angels are doing now in the presence of the same God that shook Mount Sinai. What's the difference? Jesus' work on the cross has tamed everything in heaven and earth. You're going to be welcome there. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to be at ease. You won't be sneaking around heaven and say, well, what will I do? Does God know I'm here? Yeah, he does. You can't get there unless you go through the door. And you'll be there. Then he goes on and he says things like this. We'll come to the assembly or the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And so he's saying that we're the church that belong to the firstborn son, the heir of all things, and he's going to share the inheritance of the firstborn with his church, the bride. And we're the kind of people that to be in this number, 
We've already had our name inscribed on the books. Did you know what happens at the end of time? God judges the human race at a huge judgment called the white throne judgment. And there's one thing missing in the book. He can find your name is not recorded. Have you not put faith in Christ? He'll open the book. One set of books, he'll have a record of every sin and every offense you've ever done. And on the other one book, one book, he looks, I'm sorry we can't find your name inscribed. But he says in Revelation of his own people, your names were inscribed in the book before the foundation of the world. My name is written there. Is your name. You know, it's one thing for you to say you know God. It's another thing for him to say he knows you. You remember what Jesus said? Those people said, Lord, Lord, we did all this in your name. He said, you don't get it. I don't know you. You say you know me, but I don't know you. And it doesn't mean omniscient knowing. I don't know you intimately as someone that belongs to me. So we're going to go to a place where my name and your name as a believer is written down, where we're going to join the party with the angels, and then we're going to come God, the judge of all. Now, does it bother you to think you're coming before the judge? I'm guaranteeing there's a mixed reaction in this audience. I would be afraid to come before the judge if there were any outstanding warrants for my arrest. Because the judge has either dealt with your problem in the past or he's going to deal with it in the future. The judge has got to deal with you one way or the other. But the good news of the gospel is because of Jesus Christ, he's already satisfied the judge about your crimes, and so judgment is passed. You're not condemned. You're declared right in the court. Folks that have never taken Christ will face all their crimes before the judge, but will be at ease and say, judge, I've already got out of your court. Matter of fact, I've been in your family a long time. You can't judge me. You've already dealt with it. It's a scary thing to live and always to be looking to see if you get caught. The right, you said, the wicked flee when no man pursues. He's always guilty. Are you running? Is your conscience tracking you down? Maybe the hounds of heaven trying to get you to come to Christ. Turn, turn. So he goes on, and he talks about enrolled in heaven, God, the spirits of righteous men made perfect, probably Old Testament saints, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And I love this, to sprinkle blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What does that mean? Well, in Genesis 4, Cain killed Abel. And the narrative says that the blood of Abel cried out, and the cry was for justice and vindication. Vengeance. You're a murderer. 
You kill me in the act of worship. My blood cries against you, but the blood of Christ, it speaks for us, not against us. It doesn't cry for vengeance. It offers forgiveness. The blood of Christ is much, much greater because of what it's purchased for those in heaven. His blood shouts to God, forgiven, paid for, covered. What a marvelous, marvelous thing. So God has spoken through grace. He's spoken in law, and he's saying, pay attention to my voice. Pay attention to my voice. Now, when he makes the appeal, don't refuse him who has spoken, he says something very sobering. Don't refuse the one who is going to remove all created matter. Everything in creation is set up to be removed by a single word from God. And you're not responding to that word. You're not treating that word seriously. And he goes on, quoting Haggai chapter 2, verse 4, all creation is going to be shaken, not just Mount Sinai. God is going to shake all of creation, as it were, and then he's going to reveal only those things that cannot be shaken, which is his kingdom, what he is the head of, and every kingdom of man, every kingdom that Satan has corrupted, all of creation, according to the Psalms, will be rolled up like a scroll. And Second Peter says, God will simply speak the word and this whole ball of wax will go up in smoke. Everything we've trusted, loved, lusted for, fought for, coveted, whether it's things, relationships, real estate, everything in the created order that he made will be incinerated and pass away with fervent heat. And so he's saying, listen to me. How do you think you can escape a God that can absolve the whole created order? How can you escape this kind of a God? That his word created all, all the stars, the universe, and listen, his word, not a rocket, not an atomic blast, not war, his word, he will say, be dissolved. And the whole atomic structure of all of creation will unravel and it will pass away in a loud noise and fervent heat and you'll look around, there'll be no stars, no islands, no earth, no sea. It's all gone. Only one thing will still be up, God's kingdom. God's people, God's promises, God's word. He will have the final word over all of creation. And he says, please listen. God's been talking to you uh, for ages. He's talked in these last days in the sun. He talked in the prophets. He talked to you in this book. I sent prophets. I've spoken through angels. I'm speaking through a son. 
I want to talk to you so that John says, I sent the word not in a volume, but in a son. You know, when you have a feud, the most stubborn and maybe the most hurt in the feud often makes this choice. I'm through talking. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I choose not to forgive. I choose the distance. I can get used to giving up the relationship. It's over. And God, between God and man, God's the one that has never given up talking. We're the stubborn one. And listen, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You ever know people like that? I don't want to hear it. Would you mean it doesn't agree with you? No, nope, I don't listen to anything that doesn't agree with me. And here's God in the scriptures. You see him in Isaiah 118 begging Israel, come, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they can be white as snow. Come, he said, the, the ox knows its owner, and the donkey knows where the barn is, but my people have forgotten where I am. Come. Matthew 11, come. You're weary on religion. Judaism is wearing you out. It's gone into apostasy. There's no rest for my people in Israel. I offered them a rest in Isaiah 30, 15, but I am the rest of God. Come. I want to talk to you. I want you to hear me. Do you listen to God? Can God talk to you and you hear him? And I'm not talking about nights of pizza and dreams. I'm talking about his word. Can you hear him talk to you through this? Do you ever hear him in preaching? Do you ever hear his spirit in your conscience, talking, talking. You might just try just putting the Bible on your head at night. Say, Lord, let talk to me. Talk to me. Because you don't read it, you need osmosis. I thought I was losing my mind one time, and I told Kel every night I just read the Bible, and I claim 2 Timothy 1, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind, and I sleep with my Bible on my head. You will not let me have a nervous breakdown. I broke, but I retained some IQ. I'm not telling you how high it is. God's talking to you. He's talking to them. Don't go back. God's giving you the best in Jesus. God is talking to you in the Son. He's talked to you in many ways in the past, chapter 1. But these days, he's talking in the Son. Can you hear him, his last warning? Please, please, please listen to God. A man that perishes without Christ has refused to listen to God. You think of what Jesus said in Matthew 7. He said there's two kinds of hearers. 
There's one who just hears me as the multitude heard the Sermon on the Mount. There's others who hear me and do what I say. And he said the hearers are simply people who are building their life upon sand, that which will pass away, and the storm will come and it will reveal what you built on. The other who hears and obeys my word is like a man who builds upon a rock. The storm comes. Both men face the same storms, but only one has a foundation based on Christ. The storm is coming, friend. Judgment is coming upon the earth. Tribulation is coming. The islands of the sea are going to flee. Nations are going to battle. They're going to go to Israel. They're going to go to Armageddon. This place, you cannot believe if God sees fit to get us out of here soon. It's going to go up in smoke. You cannot imagine. That's why you need to read Revelation. I'll let God describe it. God will not be silent in judgment. He's got a seven-year period. He's going to settle score with the nations who have rejected his son. Judgment is coming. Are you listening and obeying? I see another problem with us. We've got people that, uh, these kinds of responses, and Jesus told about four kinds of soil. One soil was used of Satan as a thief. It's amazing. Sometimes I wonder if I ought to keep preaching because of how little results it seems to produce. How many apathetic, non-obedient hearers we have. Yeah, I, I've talked to people sometimes. I said, by the way, uh, how long have you been going to that church? Five years? Uh, who's your pastor? I don't know. He, there's something moves up there every week. Where is he preaching? I don't know. Is that important? The band was good. The band. What about the voice? The voice of God. But see, we're in such a liberal state in America, when you abandon any confidence, the only reason you people for the years have shown up around here is not the preacher, is you believe the Bible. Amen. And we can, we can talk to you about the Bible. Uh, we can mess with your life, tell you things that anybody else, you tell them, mind their own business. But if I've got a Bible verse, you actually put up with a man saying, I'm talking to you, you better straighten out. You say, whoa. Who does he think he is? As long as it's the Bible. That's why I try to get a big one in the pulpit to protect me. But once we lose any confidence in this book, it's over. Sell this place and give it to somebody that does. I don't want to be just in the people business. I want to be in the Word of God business. This is what's going to last right here. Valley Bible didn't grow on slick methods. We didn't even consult anybody. We just consulted God, the Bible, the Spirit, and those elect people who love the Word of God. That's why we're still here. But we've got an age that they don't know if the Bible speaks to you anymore. I read a, a quote from J.I. Packer about the Word of God. He said, today the mass of our churches no longer feel sure about the Word of God. And as the outside world observes us, they see us going from gimmick to gimmick and stunt to stunt, 
like so many drunks in a fog, not knowing at all where we are or which way we should be going. Preachy is hazy. Heads are muddled. Hearts fret. Doubts drain our strength. Uncertainty paralyzes our action. The truth is, we have grieved the Spirit, and God has withheld the Spirit where his word has not been esteemed. We stand under divine judgment. For two generations and more, our churches have suffered from a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. For us, too, the word of God is in a real sense being lost. Do you listen to God? He said to the churches of Asia Minor seven times, seven times, he who has an ear to hear, hear me. Well, I think the congregation had physical ears. He's talking about spiritual perception. Do you know what God is saying? Do you know? He tells them, you better put your hope in that which cannot be shaken. And it's not America. It's not Trump. And it's sure not Hillary. God forbid, this is what we're trusting. The political system has just gone bankrupt. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Now, if you're listening to God, you'll do what he tells you, and he brings an application. He just, he just screeches up. He said, everything's going to pass. He just comes into verse 28. He says, therefore, let me tell you what you ought to be doing. Let me tell you what you ought to be doing. Look at verse 28. This is how we ought to be responding. Therefore, let us be griping. Oh, praise the Lord. You're reading it. Therefore, let us be thankful. It's really the word grace is the actual word. It's not the word Eucharist. It's just grace. Let us have an attitude of gratitude. That, and sometimes translated things, but it's the idea of we're living out with gratitude. You can't live with gratitude if you think you deserve everything God's given you. Pride makes you think you deserve everything you get. Be glad, honey, you're not getting everything you deserve. If you got everything you deserve, you're not going to heaven. No. You ought to be serving God with a grateful heart. Are some of you mad at God, bitter towards God? God has disappointed you because it didn't go your way? You know, sometimes I'm afraid we picture the Christian life as, well, become a Christian, but it's really hard. You know what's really hard? It's just being a human being. I find out even unsaved people get headaches. They, they actually have doctors for unsaved people. They're healthy. They actually get cancer. But you make it out with some Christians. Why us? 
It's a part of humanity. Well, some unsaved folks have nicer kids than you got. How can that work out? I don't know. But they do. But they also have kids that break their heart. Let's quit making everything that's negative because I'm a Christian. You're just human. Yeah. Christians' teeth, their teeth rot too. They need a good dentist. Well, Lord, I thought I was saved. Not completely. You got to get a glorified body because the one you got, you're wearing out. And everybody over 60 said, Amen. When you meet with that crowd, what are you taking? What are you doing? It's just, it's part of our humanity, not a part of whether you're saved or not. Unsaved bury parents. Unsaved have heartaches. It's a part of life. And if you don't know that, you haven't buried anyone close to you yet, but you will. You will. And he says, we ought to be serving God that's spoken to us in Christ delivered us, we have escaped, and delivering us from that which shall be removed, because our names are inscribed in heaven, then, he said, we ought to be grateful, for we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It's not going to pass away. It's eternal. Thank God. Build your hope on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. And then he goes on. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. Now, is all worship acceptable? Why would he put in acceptable? Let me ask you a question. I mean, just don't raise your hand. Do you think you worship God acceptably? Your worship. Uh, the idea acceptably there is with reverent fear. He goes on to the word reverence. They're used interchangeably with a um, reverent fear. You know, I just share my bias. Is that okay? You better believe it. Uh, I, I, I was just at a church, and, and the prep thing is... Uh, you're bringing your Starbucks coffee. They got cement floors, so if you spill it, it's okay. And uh, a lot of places, you just set up tables. You're eating during the service. Because you're cool. Cool. I, I guess you could drink Starbucks and worship God at the same time. Some of you would help. It'd wake you up. <laughs> it's better than Yanni. What I get afraid of is flippancy. So casual. I, God's not cool. God is awesome. God is going to dissolve all of creation. And out of 7 billion people on the planet of the earth now, I would say at least 6 billion of them will be going to hell. Why aren't you? Let me read to you what Tozer said. The low view of God entertained almost universally 
among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. With the loss of the sense of majesty has come the further loss of religious awe and consciousness of the divine presence. We have lost our spirit of worship and our ability to withdraw inwardly to meet God in adoring silence. Modern Christianity is simply not producing the kind of a Christian who can appreciate or experience the life in the spirit. The words, be still and know that I am God, mean next to nothing to the self-confident, slick, bustling worshiper in this middle period of the 20th century. Of course, now he's been dead for years. And what we've lost in our reverence of God, our churches are dying in a desert land. What is worship that moves the heart, that bows the knee, that daubs the tears, and that's overwhelmed that I'm in the presence of the living God and he's to be feared, to be honored. My breath is in his hand. My eternal destiny's in his hand. He's no little flippant Santa Claus. He's an awesome God that is going to dissolve all of creation. <laughs> Tozer said the famous words, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And if I all of a sudden, we just had an open board meeting and I flipped up here, God, is God. And I said, let's start writing down what, what first comes to your mind when we say God. What comes here? Because you can create an idol in your mind because you can make an image of God that's not true of himself. You've created an idol. What do you think of? And you think of God. And so he says, if you've listened to God, if you responded to his gracious appeal to you, I'm saying first be grateful to him that he would even talk to us. Two, let's offer him acceptable worship. Remember he told Israel, you draw nigh to me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. The immoral woman of Proverbs 7 she tells the guy, hey, come on over. My husband's out of town. I've gone to the temple. I've done my religious deeds. Let's commit adultery. Proverbs 7. I'm in good standing at temple. I'm in good standing. I look good. It doesn't matter who I sleep with because my religion doesn't affect my morals. It doesn't affect my behavior. I'm in good standing. I even donate once in a while, and I go at least twice a year. I'm a religious person, but I've lost the awe of God. I've lost the fear of God. If I ask you, when's the last time you felt afraid of God? I'll give you an example. I like to swim, but I'm afraid of water. What do you mean by that? I'm supposed to play with grandchildren. I love the ocean if I've got a boogie board. A boogie board and three life preservers. 
because I don't trust myself against the current. You see, it's a fun recreation, but I fear what it can do to me. I'm not that good a swimmer. I better stay afraid of it. I'd be a dead man easily. I'm nearly drowned about three times. I know what it is to think this is the last breath. And you better get a good dose of that towards God. You don't worship a God you're flippant with. But if you don't even know how to define him, that's where if I had my chance, I would set up theology proper in this platform. You expect sermons, but what you need to know is you know very little about God. The man and woman in the pew don't know his attributes. They don't know his essence. They don't know his nature. They don't know how to define the Trinity. And we're living in ignorance and recycling music and hope we can gender worship. Worship is coming to adore, bow, estimate, and appraise the immense declaration of who he is. Who he is. And we're doing little sermons. We got to do a good, friendly sermon and get you out on time. No, ignorance is killing us. We don't know who he is. I had to go to seminary to find out how to define God, and I couldn't come up with a definition. But oh, we think we know God. We do not very well. I know just the tenor of our worship. I, uh, one of our brothers said to me today, you know, I was talking to a man. He was asking about your church and. He asked me for my input, and he said, well, I know we don't pray like we used to. Why, you don't need to pray. God doesn't hear you anyway. It's a waste of time. We need more programming. We need more busyness. We need more bodies. We need more money. We need more God. We need more God. He's the one that's missing in our churches, this reverential awe of him. We're not going to the clubhouse. I'm going to worship the living God, and it's different than any other meeting. Different than any other meeting. Are you a worshiper? God said, I seek people to worship me. I got a lot of folks telling me what to do to be God. I'm looking for somebody that says, you're doing great, God. I just want to worship you. You're wonderful. He goes on and says, we ought to worship him with reverence and awe. You know, I, I thought you would appreciate this, so I looked it up. Awe. Does anyone ever say, that was awesome? I'm not looking. That was awesome. Mom, that was awesome, peanut butter. It was awesome that the Warriors won. Let's hope they let LeBron keep playing. Not LeBron, but Green. Hope they don't put him out. Awesome. Listen to what awesome means. American Heritage Dictionary. It means a mixed emotion or reverence, respect, dread, and wonder inspired as by authority genius and great beauty or might. That couldn't be compared to a sandwich. Your girlfriend doesn't even fit this. A genius? What is she going with you for? 
genius, a uh, wonder inspired by authority, great beauty. Ah, she might do good there. Might, authority. I'm in the presence of genius, authority, greatness. It's so indescribable. I can only say it fills me with awe. So we get our word awful. That took on a negative meaning. Awful is this way Dixon, extremely bad or unpleasant, terrible. That's how our vernacular works. This is the original. Commanding or inspiring awe. Filled with awe. Filled with or displaying great reverence. And so when you said it's awful, originally they meant it's so full of awe, it's full, it's awful. Then it came to be negative. And so he says, if you're hearing God, if you receive his son Jesus, God's not asking you to make payments on the kingdom to come. He wants you to respond to him. He said, I'm an awesome God. Do you know that? Do you treat him like he's awesome? Then he says, just because he offers his grace, he hasn't lost the character of being a consuming fire. This is no God to mess with. He will consume the earth. He will consume his enemies. The dross will go away. He is still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's still the God of Sinai. He's still the God of creation. And though he's spoken gracefully, humbly in Jesus, remember, he's still God. He hasn't lost any of his holiness, any of his character. Come before him. Psalm 95, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the God, our maker. For we are the sheep of his pasture. Come, let us worship and bow down. You know what? The greatest meetings we've ever had in this church is when the church worshiped. The greatest thing about our church is when we had prayer meetings where only 10 of us showed up, but we worshiped. As a Pentecostal boy, we used to always attend prayer meetings before church. We did. We were in Pinot. But you outgrow things that are effective. You get busy. So why pray? And, uh, but I remember as a boy, especially in Carolyn's uncle's church in Concord, the prayer meeting often was better than the service because you got clean. It was you and the Lord. It was vertical, vertical. You got clean. You got before God, and you weren't waiting for a preacher to get you to think God was great. You weren't waiting on the choir. You and God settled that. Is he awesome? Is he to be revered, adored, feared? Is he a God that you could say, I will forever be grateful? I used to always say that about my children. If you would just save my daughters. Many a preacher's kid goes wild. And I used to always say, would you save them? I'll forever thank you in heaven. Well, I don't need him to save daughters to be forever grateful. Just saving me is enough. 
but he did answer my prayer. And I've got praises to give him. That's why it's going to take eternity. You'll just get started. 10,000 years, and we'll just be started. I want to ask you here, are you someone here that you've heard a lot of sermons, but you're still lost? You've evaluated a lot of preachers, but you've never heard God. One time someone asked McGee, do you ever hear your sermons? He said, I wouldn't walk across the street to hear myself preach. I'm hoping my audience hears God. Not a, a boy from Oklahoma that sounds corny to a young generation. It's the word of God that you've got to hear. Can you hear God? Is God talking to you? Father, I pray for those today, both saved and unsaved, who may not be hearing the voice of God. You tell us as churchmen, hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And I hear you saying to that unsaved person that's never come to Christ, hear me. I want to save you. I want to give you eternal life. I want to give you a share of an eternal kingdom that will never pass away. Never pass away. Father, give us an ear to hear and to obey and to do. May we not just keep hearing religious talk, religious jargon, verses, illustrations, and preachers loud and soft and all of a sudden we're immune from the voice that's talking. Give us an ear to hear lest we perish, lest we perish when you shake everything in creation and there'll be nothing that will last but your word and your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that for some here today our names have been written down and we become heirs of a kingdom that shall never pass away. Thank you, thank you. The trials of this life are momentary and light in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is coming to us. We bless your name. We bless your name. Bring us back tonight to keep your word. Meet together. Celebrate those willing to go public with their faith and to do what the Lord Jesus said. Take this cup. Break this bread and just do what I tell you. Remember me until I come again. We plan to do it by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're anyone here that you have questions and there's any way we can help you, we'll wait for you up here. You come. We want you to know Christ. God bless you.